1: This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more.
0: Hello, my dear rare friends. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful that you're here and I am wishing you a happy new year. I hope that it has been a calm one for you. I have an amazing guest today, as usual. Uh, I'm so excited to introduce her to you. There's actually gonna be another episode with her because her story is just like, there's so many things, I couldn't pack it all in one episode. So look out for that. She is the mother to three kids and her story started out during the day, basically of lockdown, March, 2020, when she gave birth to twins and magically opted in for a pilot program of the newborn screening for SMA, came back positive for her son. And man, we are just talking about luck after luck after luck and just being in the right place at the right time and having all of the stars aligned, including the diagnosis that has a treatment. It's one of the 5% of rare diseases that has a treatment. And her son was one of the youngest ever at one point to, to get that treatment for SMA. So I hope you enjoy our story. We talk about that and just the injustice of so many things, and then we talk about you know, the other side, and what comes out of getting a diagnosis for our kids and how it changes us as human beings. Anyways, it's a really full, rich conversation, and I hope you'd enjoy it as much as I did. Please enjoy my conversation with Catherine Alexander. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Hi, Effie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you. We've been connecting over LinkedIn for a while, so I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled. Really, really thrilled. <laughs> me too. We have a really, really interesting conversation uh, that we're going to dig into, and I can't wait. But for starters, let's talk about your little family and where you're at right now. So I am a mother of three little
1: ones. I have a four-year-old son named Jack. um, And then I have twins. They are boy-girl twins. They were born the first day of the lockdown in 2020, in March of 2020, uh, Connor and Tierney. Um, So they're about 22 months. um, And... Uh, Connor actually was diagnosed through newborn screening with uh, spinal muscular atrophy type one, which is the number one, um, uh, genetic fatal genetic disorder, um, I guess in this country. Um, so essentially it's like ALS for babies, um, is, is the way I put it. Um, before there were treatments, essentially like if you had type one, uh, your child couldn't live past the age of two without permanent ventilation. Um, and, you know, couldn't eat all of your muscles, just stop working um, and you slowly kind of atrophy. And it's just awful. It's just awful. Um, we, my husband and I are obviously carriers of this mutation. Um, so each of our children have each time we got pregnant there's a 25% chance that one of our children would have this but we had no idea so luckily jack and tierney do not have it but that's just that was just pure luck i mean we like i said we had no idea no one in our families has this so um
0: i'd never heard of it there's a lot of luck in your story from the beginning and it's really striking i mean you had these twins that came out safely a little early. You were in one of the best hospitals in the country and you were also giving birth at the day of the lockdown and you were still getting help and you got help afterwards, which is kind of shocking to me in in the whirlwind that it was and that it still is quite frankly. um, Well, I I, I have an amazing story around that, which is You
1: know, so we were so lucky we're in the Boston area. That's number one. Number two, we were lucky that our doctors communicated about Connor's newborn screening results because that normally doesn't happen. Normally, the results are told to the parents and it's left to the parents to do something. And you're kind of, I mean, I can't imagine because my brain was mush at that point. I had just had twins. It was the lockdown. I was by myself at the hospital. I was suffering from high blood pressure. So I felt awful. And then this happened. And I was told Connor has this condition. And so I was lucky that the neonatologist at Newton Wellesley Hospital actually took over and kind of like did my job for me because so I didn't even know I had to do that job. And she contacted the specialist at Mass General. The specialist is the one who basically got my permission and then ran with it and got Connor transferred over in the pandemic. So he was taken via Medflight ambulance. So it's, it's called Medflight, but it's, it's not a helicopter, it's an ambulance, but still very serious. Um, you know, people with very serious conditions are taken that way. And he was taken to a different hospital in the middle of the pandemic as a newborn and put under her care and she actually went to biogen i believe to get spinraza which is one of the therapies that he received to give him because there are no couriers
0: oh my gosh yep <laughs> that is insane What a a couple angels on earth, first of all, and like getting to ride in and do what they were meant to do. Oh, that is just like breathtaking.
1: She's um, unbelievable. This woman, I I, when I first met her, I was like, what? Why are you smiling so much? She was just like, oh, my gosh, this is I was like, lady, I'm sorry. I want to punch you in the face because my son was just diagnosed with a fatal genetic disorder and you're smiling at me. Like, get (laughs) out of here. And so my husband was like, oh, boy. <laughs> now I absolutely she's uh, I love her so much. She's like, like, I can't I don't have words for how I feel about her.
0: Well, and yeah, coming from the outside, you get to realize why she was smiling. Yes. Yeah. that She was. Yeah. That she was getting to protect this little sweet baby because she knew the answers.
1: Yes. She finally had the opportunity after like two decades of doing work with type one after seeing so many kids pass away and so many families suffer she finally had her opportunity to do what she dreamed to do with a child and i mean i can't really imagine how she feel how she felt or how she feels about connor she is like enamored with him and it and it's so it's amazing whenever i bring him to mass general she tells every doctor we pass oh, this is Connor. This is Connor. This is Connor. And every doctor is like amazed by him. And that's when you really realize the gravity of, of the whole situation. And because we just live our everyday life. and we, we're We don't really think about that because if you did, you wouldn't be able to really function. And so, but you, you do have to step back and think of it because it is the reality.
0: Um, and you have to kind of accept it. So even coming from my perspective, you know, a parent to a kiddo with a rare disease that doesn't have a treatment, I look to Connor in the same way, right? Like I look to him as hope for like what could happen for my child. Yes, he's, and that's why I want to talk about his story because,
1: and that's another thing, my husband didn't understand why I wanted to talk about this. And, you know, cause he's, he's more of the type like, well, let's keep it to ourselves, keep it private. And I understand that side of it. And I, I I do do that in a way. I don't, in my everyday life, I don't talk about it, but I feel very compelled because of our situation, how lucky we were. And, and I don't want other families to be have to be lucky. I want people to be educated and know what they need to know so that when if they find themselves in a situation like this and there there are treatments that they need to get for their child they know this and they know how to communicate and they know where to go and and what to do because after you have a child generally your brain is mush and it's very hard even if your child is healthy it's it's hard to function you know and figure out parenting and parenthood and so i just feel very strongly that You know, we we need to talk about this more and people need to know, especially now that they're, you know, gene therapy is the wave of the future and gene editing, but people need to understand how to, you know, when, how to push for these things, who to talk to, where to go, and that's just not talked about. So there's this big gap in knowledge
0: preach. Preach, Catherine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, to all of that. I do want to kind of talk about, back it up a little bit with more luck, of course, that you were in a state that was, what's the word when the newborn screening test isn't officially a newborn screening, but you have to opt in? The opt-in. It's yeah, just it's, called opt-in. It, well, okay. it's called um, a pilot. Oh, okay, which is so pilot so, program. So annoying. I mean, um, yeah. There's a treatment for SMA. Why isn't it on every newborn screening panel? We learned a lot about the bureaucracy of this from Elisa Seeger a couple episodes back. And she's also doing this type of work that's so important. So you opted in. Did you have any education or did anyone talk to you about what newborn screening is, why you should opt in? Hey, maybe you should opt into this one that will kill your kid eventually if it doesn't have treatment. But there is a treatment. Can you tell me about that part of the story? Sure. Uh, had no idea, no idea that this existed, that newborn screening
1: existed, or that my child was getting newborn screening. And I already had a child and I'd never talked about it with anyone. The OBGYN didn't talk about it. My The pediatricians don't talk to me. No one had talked to me. So, you know, the one thing that, that I did talk about because I'm older, so I'm having children over the age of 35. If, so of course it's a big deal and they talk about oh you have to get tested for down syndrome and you know some of these tests that they do in the first 10 weeks um, when you're pregnant so i knew about that so i thought i did everything right because i that was like oh i did all those tests i did everything but that's not true but that's kind of where they leave it at your ob-gyn's office, at, no one talked to me about this whole other thing called newborn screening and all of these rare conditions and all of these treatments that exist for these rare conditions and guess what you have to get these treatments as soon as possible because if you can administer these treatments before symptoms begin your child not only will they survive but they have a chance to be just like everybody else and live with this as a chronic condition I mean, it's unbelievable. It's a miracle. It's so—it's just amazing they don't talk about this. It, it, it dumbfounds me. And so I had no idea. I guess I checked a box at the hospital. Don't remember doing it. Had the twins, so they did the heel prick, took the blood, screened for these conditions. And guess what? Connors came back showing that he has this fatal genetic disorder. Well. The neonatologist happened to know that time is of the essence. You got to move really fast, and so she went, you know, to the specialist immediately, and the specialist immediately got him treated. And if we were in another state, another country, you know, if there are so many things like if the neonatologist had just told me and my husband and not gone to the specialist, all of these things would cause major delays. And Connor very, very likely would not be the way he is today, which today he's developing in line with his twin sister who does not have SMA.
0: Yeah, it is. It's dumbfounding that there isn't just a sense of urgency protocol instated everywhere, right? Like you were so lucky that you had all of this crucial activity happening. You had the location, you had the communication among healthcare professionals, and you had access. Yes. immediately yeah you have to have all of those things and you have to have them immediately and it's it's a matter of life and death for so many and it's heartbreaking to know that that isn't available for a lot of people even people with access and with location Yes, i've found in my own personal experience that the communication piece is broken and so it breaks everything else and i fear that people who have a couple of those pieces would still not have the outcome that you did because they don't know how the system works You're and someone right. dropped and someone dropped a plate
1: again this is why i'm so compelled and i that i reached out to you and after i had heard your podcast and i was like i need to talk about this i need to help people i want connor's story to help other people to understand this because it's not talked about and this is so, so, so important if you're having children. And I had no idea. And and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Oh my gosh. I, I think about it every day. I think about it every day. Of course you would, yeah.
0: Other than telling your story and getting this out here, are there any other things that you're doing or trying to help get implemented or things that you're speaking at to talk about changes that need to happen prenatal or with the newborn screening and stuff? Like, what is the dialogue or what is kind of a roadmap that you think should be happening? The dialogue the dialogue is really, it's, it's
1: so limited. And that's because, well, I just started kind of digging into this, but luckily i know i I used to work in finance covering healthcare stocks and so i happen to know a lot of people who are kind of on the periphery of this stuff and who have but luckily when you know investors they have a lot of influence with, with you know companies just because of the money aspect and that's that's a good thing in this situation and and so i do know a couple people who are in influential like positions know about this gap that exists. And I'm trying to talk to them and work with one of, one of the guys I used to work with, he actually is the CFO at a company that does whole genome sequencing. And they are talking about this, but he's like, yeah, this is not something that, this is like impossible to push for because the government doesn't want to, deal with it, you know, the bureaucracy doesn't want to deal with it. No one wants to pay. Insurance doesn't want to talk about it. And, you know, if you look at kind of guidance for physicians and and you know you say, well, why don't OBGYN sit down with people and talk about this? Well they know about it because there is, I did find some guidance on it. Like you have to really search. But it's not like a law. There's no, there's no mandate. And it's left up. This is the crazy part. It's left up to each state to figure out what, how they want to deal with this stuff. So it's so convoluted because there's no uniform guideline throughout the whole country. Every state has a different take on things and a different bureaucracy and a different political system. And it's so, it's absurd to me. Um, honestly, it's, it's maddening to look at this stuff. And so I'm trying to kind of figure out how best to communicate this. I, I also have talked to the Every Life Foundation in D.C., and I love to do more with those types of orga- organizations, too, to, like, you know, get in the ears of some of these politicians, because I don't, I don't understand I know the, the roadblock mainly is like money, but it just seems absurd to me. Like we're talking about saving a lot. So I take Connor, I want to videotape. You know, I should do this. I should videotape us taking Connor into Mass General Hospital one of these times. Because when I take him in, I every single time I take him in, I have, these are doctors who are world-renowned these are the top specialists in the world. You know, top pulmonologists, top cardiologists, top everything. They're dumb. At, they are like amazed by Connor. And I had one of them pull me aside and say, I've seen three medical miracles in my life. And your son is one of them. And I I need to, I wish I had that on tape because the, the man was almost in tears. And he was so excited because it's basically like, this is what these people have worked their whole life for and to see it, they are just amazed and they are, I mean, I I can't describe it in words, how these people look at him. They don't believe it. For a doctor to call something a miracle, it's very, very rare. They really don't use that language. So yeah, I need to videotape that and then show it to these politicians or something.
0: Well, absolutely. I think I think we all know the the value of a personal story, right? And having it on written paper in a podcast in a video, every sort of medium that you can contain it in. That's what moves people. And that's what gets people to listen. And that's your most powerful weapon that you have, Catherine. And you know that. So you should absolutely turn this into a film. Give it to Daniel and Bo and put it on the Disorder Channel. Because that is what changes the world. That's what changes policy. That's what gets funding. You have to attach it to a personal story like that. So people who are making the decisions and who are just, you know, going through the bureaucracy of it all, like you said, actually stops and they see the human being. I want to do that because, and
1: again, you know, this is where my husband, and i he's kind of like, oh, I don't want to put video of our children out there and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, I completely agree with, with, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I, we have to do this because this is going to help other people and this is going to change things. I know it will. I just have a this very strong feeling that I need to do this and it helps me to cope with everything. And so I think, you know, it gives me, it makes me happy, honestly. So I love that. That's why I do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's multi-layered in feeling compelled to do this and knowing that it's important and weighing the pros and cons of putting your child's medical life and your personal life out in the open like that. But it's it's so important if you can do it and if you choose to do it. And I commend you for that for sure, really. When Connor
1: received gene therapy and he started to really, he, he was a little bit weak. He was a little, he had received, um, one therapy previously, which was kind of a bridge therapy. It was called SpinRas and it, it, it's not gene therapy. It's, I don't want to get into technical. It's like, it's called, they call it an ASO and it's a really long, um, meme, which I won't try to say, but, um, basically what it did because he was so little and he was a preemie, um, it allowed him to kind of stay pre-symptomatic until he could receive Zolgensma, which is the gene therapy, safely when he was three months old. And so again, like this is not something they had data on, but his specialist was very adamant that this would work and that this would actually make him stronger receiving the Spinraza floating doses first. This is not something that's done. It's not something that's done. This is something... He's the first kid to have that done.
0: It's um it's so exciting. I know how probably I mean, I don't know how terrifying it was and how overwhelming and all of the things, but I also just like so excited. And I know everyone around it was just so honored to be able to be a part of this for someone so young, too, and to see to see it in action and to just like take that baby step that's so terrifying and have to wait until he's big enough for the real med like that is she also got it paid for
1: yes (laughs) she had the spin raza paid for and the zoologensma zoologensma
0: is if you look at the media
1: it's like the most expensive drug in the world and i say to people it's a bargain Mm -hmm.
0: what is the price of it do you know off the top of your head $2.1 Two point one million dollars for one dose. Two point one million dollars for one dose, and you, uh, you only get one, you technically it's one dose, right? One dose. Techni- technically, they're not. I mean, so yeah. But when you weigh the costs of the two point whatever million dollar for the Zolgensma versus raising a kid with SMA, it doesn't compare. I mean, doesn't compare. Doesn't compare. Yeah. Like you would think that the money that nobody wants to throw into stuff like this pre diagnosis would be just a big red fire truck. Like it makes so much sense. The preventative medicine it pays for itself. Pays, yeah, it makes so much sense. It's like a no brainer for me.
1: There was so much stress. I mean, pandemic was going on. We didn't know any, at that time, we didn't know anything, the lockdown. And then, you know, this happened. And and we were bringing Connor to the hospital constantly. and And you know he's so little, so at the time, like I, I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't really understand what was happening. I didn't really want to. I was kind of just in la la land because I had twins too, which is like a lot. And one of them was also she didn't have doesn't have SMA, and so how do you deal with that? So I was just trying to keep my head above water, and um, and so we we brought him into Mass General to to get the Zolgensma, and this was in June of 2020. So he's three months old, and um, you know, I was a I was a nervous wreck, obviously, because again, you just don't know with these things. They have to get the dose exactly right, and uh there's just not any data on anything, and especially he got spinraza first, and I was like, there's no data on giving a kid spinraza first and then giving them zolgensma. Oh my god, so yeah so we got in there and i was joking with the nurses because it's the only way i could cope and i was like how are they going to bring this old Jensma in because you know it's 2.1 million dollars right so like is it in a golden vial like brought in by models like on a you know they're like no here it is they gave me a vial it's just a plain old you know vial okay I was like, oh.
0: new rule it has to be brought in by models yeah male models <laughs> yes <laughs> up to up to the parent <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy. You can't wrap my head around all of the situations that you were in with, with COVID being a part of it, and then it being twins, and then early twins, and all of the stuff that's happening. And I wonder, what did you learn about yourself that you were able to do this, and that you went through this, and that almost nobody can remotely understand? That's a great question. One thing I did really
1: think about, and I have been thinking about, well, two things I have been in my life and I know everybody has been at some point growing up, you're, you're going to go through difficult times. And when I was younger, I remember thinking, why is this happening to me? Oh my gosh, this is like the worst thing ever. This is, this is the end of, you know, cause I lost someone very close to me when I was 21. And I thought to myself, I don't want to deal. This is, this has to be the worst how does this stuff happen? How does a young person pass away suddenly? And there's no explanation. And that's not fair. Life is not fair. I don't want to deal with this. And so what I learned through my experience of having children and having Connor is that that experience really helped me to get through the Connor situation because I knew how to how I coped under extreme duress (laughs) and I knew what I needed to do to push myself to keep going because the biggest thing I think is that you got to keep going you got to keep moving forward and that doesn't mean like get up and do 100 things that means just get out of bed and like brush your teeth and that's that's great if you can do that awesome and then the next day get out of bed and do the same thing But I knew what I needed to to focus on. And so that was really helpful, especially because I already had a child who, you know, Jack now is four, but at the time he was two and a half. So I couldn't just lay down and curl up into a ball and disappear, you know, and, and just be like, oh my God, what was me? I also had a daughter, you know, who wasn't diagnosed with it. So I was like, look, I need to just push forward. How do I do this? And I mean, I still struggle with that question every day, but those experiences and those difficulties really did help me because I knew myself and I think you can kind of dig into like this dark times in your life and remember how you got through it. That helps. And and then another thing that really helped me, and I I used to hate when people talked about this, but there's a, a gentleman named George Mumford, who is awesome guy he used to be Kobe Bryant's like meditation guru and he's an amazing person and I listened to a podcast where he talked about the fact that there really is a positive to everything in life there's a positive and a negative and I was like come on there's no positive to you know somebody dying or but over time I've realized that what he's saying really is so true. Because originally, like I thought, there's no positive to my son being diagnosed with SMA. Come on. I don't want to hear that. And then I, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Because if I sit back and think about it, it makes me really appreciate each day I have with him. And I really sit back and, and watch him and I really connect with him. And I really try to connect with all my children. Now, do I do a great job of that every day? No, absolutely not. But I think about it. And then also it makes me really appreciate generally like life and, and really um, have empathy for other people who are facing difficult situations with disabilities no matter what type of disability they have. And it just has kind of stopped me in my tracks and made me more appreciative of everything. And I don't sweat the small stuff like I used to. And I'm very type A, so for me to say that is like pretty amazing. So I have to say, yes, he's right. Like there, you know, it's like, I really, I think about this quotation all the time. You know, I love Cheryl Strayed and in her book, Wild, her mother told her something I always think about, which is something like it said, put yourself in the way of beauty. So happiness just, does, I used to think to be happy, like it just happened to you. You just, you know, it's like, oh, I'm happy. And it'll just come to you. If you're a good person, if you do everything right, that like you should be happy, right? And what her mom was saying is that's not the case there's a sunrise every day, there's a sunset every day, and you've got to choose to be there for it. And you've got to put yourself in the way of beauty. You've got to put yourself there. It's not just going to come to you. And that's how I try to think now. It's like kind of more of a Zen thinking. And so, you know, again, that I think is really important to just really be kind of present. And I hate it when people say that. I used to hate when people said that, like, be present. It's like, how the heck do you do that? Especially if you're a parent, you can't do that. But that's what it is. It's just like, take a step back. There's going to be something good that comes out of this. This will really help you to realize like what you have and how great it is and appreciate that. And isn't that what life is about? Isn't that what life is about? Do you want to go through your life and not realize that and just kind of gloss over everything? Nope, I don't. So this stuff is what really makes
0: life worth it. If you really want to get deep. <laughs> oh, Catherine, that was just so beautifully said. And I felt like you were dug your hand into my chest and just rubbed my oh. heart. Yes, to all of that. And thank you for thank you for sharing it. And I know that came from every single corner of your being. And yeah. that was beautiful. And just to break it Thank down, you. dig deep into your crisis. And also, everyone needs a crisis. Find your moments of strength and resilience from there. Get up and brush your teeth. Cheryl Strait is the queen of the land and podcasts save the world. So all of those pieces Love. of information are super important. Oh, my God. Get yourself some Cheryl Strade <laughs> quotes. Put them on your wall. Oh, my God. I have listened to Dear Sugar probably 30 times. Like, I go to that when I'm like hurting sometimes or when I'm feeling lost. I'm like, I need, I need dear sugar. Totally. I
1: do the same thing. I go, I go to my Pinterest board, which is, which is like all my quotations are on this one board. And I have like all these amazing like Cheryl Strayed
0: quotations on there. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. She's one of the most powerful thinkers of our time, hands down.
1: Totally agree with you. And um, also Pema is mm. the other one yes. that I go to. Yes. Like sure. one of my other go-tos. I used to carry
0: her book around in my bag, the When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Actually, basically just do everything Oprah said. That's the big overarching yeah. answer. Every person that Oprah said is important, that she did, not, she did not lie. It's true. Find all of those books. It's very
1: true. Just find them. And, or George Mumford, like listen to a podcast where he talks. He's been through hell. He was addicted to heroin he has been through hell the guy is has the best attitude and you know and he has this kind of no nonsense way of talking about it where you're not going to be annoyed or like oh this guy is just like blowing smoke up my butt you know he's really been in the muck like he's been in it and he's gotten himself out of it he's he's picked himself up off the ground and so that's the type of stuff that i that really speaks to me right now and And another thing I think about all the time is something I heard on your podcast, which from another mom, which when Connor was diagnosed, they said, don't Google this. And I used to basically like, I had to dig into different conditions and different drugs like for my job to model, to do financial models for pharma companies. And so for me not to dig into the information and really like get in there was very difficult. And I started to do it after a little while. And it, it really was, um, it's detrimental. It really will bring you down. And one of the moms on your your podcast said something like, she really doesn't know a lot about her son's condition because she just lets him define it for her.
0: And I was like, yes. Melanie, Melanie Dimmitt from the book Special. Yes. yeah. Yeah.
1: I think about that all The time and that is the way that I try to be now with Connor. I'm like, I'm not gonna read into this. I'm just not gonna read into this because you could you could drive yourself nuts. And so I think that's another thing, and that could apply to any parent. Just let your child define it for you. Don't dig into the Google. Like, don't go to all these blogs. Don't you know, just let your child be who he or she is.
0: Find your resources in other families like you and not the misrepresentation of all of it on google for sure just dropping the wisdom today Catherine. man <laughs> you're like i'm getting i'm getting my my meditation feed for the day
1: i you know what though it's one of those things i want people to know like i
0: 100 percent agree uh, but i also i also have to say like
1: it's easier said than done i don't i, I don't walk around like so zen <laughs> i'm i'm the opposite you know my husband would be like i listen to you talk I listened to that podcast and are you kidding all the stuff you said? I wish you would practice that more. I mean, that's true. Very true. It is hard to practice some of this stuff and I don't do a good job, but I don't. But I'm trying and that's the big thing. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. Just if you could just try and that doesn't mean like every day you have to do it, but like try to remember, try to step back a little bit and over time your brain will kind of train itself. It's like the cognitive behavioral therapy stuff. It's it's you'll train yourself, but it it, it takes a long time and I'm not good at it. I'm certainly not good at it. So I don't want people to be like, oh, what is she? You know, like are people who know me listening?
0: (laughs) They're like, oh, Catherine went off the deep end. She's an airy fairy now. Hold on. Like what happened to Catherine? No, I mean I'm fully here for this. I mean, I grew up I grew up with this kind of language and I also think that it's useful to use the word practice instead of try because I think the word try is just another job for caregivers and totally. I think if you're practicing to be more mindful and you're practicing to do all the things that you're doing that that's what it is and that's beautiful. It is always going to be a practice throughout your entire life. You're never going to achieve greatness and whatever it is that You know, a monk has, it's a practice and it's beautiful and it's ever changing and easier said than done. Sure. But also so much easier than being angry and being scared and being fearful and being resentful and being envious and jealous. There's a lot to say about your choice in the matter. And there is an easier path when you kind of have a mind shift in at least being aware of where you're at there. Yes,
1: awareness. That's all you have to do. You just have to step back. I always just think about like, all right, take a breath and I'm going to just step back for a second and look at the, try to look at it differently. And for me, that's that's a lot of work, (laughs) but it really has helped me to be present and be there and stay in the moment versus... You know, getting ahead of myself or not being the person that I want to be with my kids. and again, it's it's difficult, but it is a practice. And over time, if you keep doing it, you really will do it more often, and it'll become like a habit and And that's a positive thing. And I think that it is amazing to be able to say, there is a positive to some of this stuff, which seems so just, it just drags you so far down. You just want to just weep constantly. You know, when I first got, when Connor was first diagnosed, I just, I can't really even describe how I felt. I was just devastated. I was just devastated. And I, I also felt, and I still feel, I will say, and it's not logical, very guilty because it's genetic. And I thought, this is my fault. Somehow this is my fault. And again, I know it's not logically, but this is emotionally, and so it's different. And you know, looking at him, I would be like, oh my God, I can't even look at my kid because I feel so guilty. And you know what? He's gonna grow up, he doesn't know anything different. That's the thing, Like SMA is part of who he is now. Hopefully it'll just be like a chronic condition at this point for him and, and we'll just have to manage it. I, I, I hope to God that that's what happens and this is who he is. No, he can't play football. No, he can't, you know, he can't do certain things for sure that other kids will be doing.
0: But that's
1: all right because he'll balance that out by doing something else that uh, amazingly and he'll have a, a whole different way of looking at life that... Is amazing and different and special and maybe he'll change other people's lives by the way he looks at things because of who he is and so that's the other side of it but that took me a while to figure out and i still i mean i i still like i said this is all a work in progress (laughs) but that's another thing i think people don't think about Except for the parents of, of kids with rare conditions, I think do. Maybe they don't articulate it, but they, I think most parents probably do have thought about, you know, my child is going to be special in other ways and going to help people in other ways that, that a kid that didn't have this condition wouldn't be able to, to do. And I, I feel very strongly that every kid, no matter if they're verbal, nonverbal, if they can, you know, move all their limbs, if they can't, every child makes a difference in, in some way, like in that way, because maybe they change their parents' perspective and their parents are better people and help other people. Their siblings are better and help other, better people and help other people. You know, their legacy lives on through that too. And so I don't know, it's just a kind of a, a different way of thinking about it, but I It's hard. And, and again, people don't really talk about this stuff. I'm glad you do.
0: I mean, I do, but I'm a weirdo and I want to talk about it more um, (laughs) just because it's true, right? I mean, it's absolutely true. And it's such an important focus and it's such a grounding and meaningful point for caregivers to understand and to move through their life with. And I think most caregivers understand that and are researching it or are, you know, practicing it or are at least dipping their toe into the water because it's transformational in so many ways, even just from getting more rest to really wrapping yourself around meaningful connection. And I mean, it's vast. I'm, I'm just like yammering on, but Yeah, I think we definitely need to figure out ways to kind of implement this kind of practice into the caregiver's guidebook of taking care and that this is something we need to know about right in the beginning. Well, you know, this brings up
1: another point. I found out, again, we are in Massachusetts. We're so lucky to be in Massachusetts because Massachusetts has a pilot program for SMA newborn screening that you know, is implemented. Because by the way, some states, like New Jersey, a law was passed saying, you know, you had to put SMA on the newborn screening uh, test panel and you have to do newborn screening for X number of conditions, da, 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 But guess what? They never implemented it. So people did not get screened who had kids that had SMA.
0: That'll just, that stuff will just make you want to burn buildings down. Uh, yep. (laughs) Yeah. So that
1: to me, I can't even talk about it. I'm just, but Massachusetts is the only state in the nation, in the nation, in the nation that has this program, which, so the head of pediatric palliative care for Mass General Hospital, she just retired, Patricia O'Malley unbelievable amazing angelic fantastic woman i can't say enough about this woman and i frequently would speak with her and at first i was like wait why is the head of palliative care contacting me oh my god but palliative care hospice care also kids with medically complex conditions and their families fall under that umbrella so people don't really understand that that doesn't mean it doesn't mean death. It doesn't mean your kid is inevitably like going to die. It means that you need support. You need care as a family that is special. And in Massachusetts, if it's recommended by these physicians, by a specialist and by a palliative care director, if you're recommended to this program, you get free care. From a hospice service, so like there's a service called Good Shepherd Community Care. And so you get your family has access to free care from nurses, social workers, you can have music therapy, pet therapy, you name it, child life specialists to help your the siblings deal for free until your medically complex child is 19 years old.
0: Yeah, I mean, the value of palliative care is is immeasurable. Back in Episode 59 with Blythe Lord, she's from the Courageous Parents Network. Yeah, we talked about palliative care. And it's something that all of us as parents of kids with rare disease and non-diagnosed medical complexities need Mm -hmm. to be uh, informed about. And and not afraid of, not afraid of it. And I, I was and now I'm not. Yes, there is a there's confusion around what it is being about death and dying and it's more about like well-rounded communication care and just like a holistic kind of approach with everybody being involved and having options and making changes and i always call it a warm blanket that i haven't got yet but i'm about to it is like a warm blanket i absolutely love everyone that's involved i mean
1: these people are are fantastic and why don't we have this available for other families in other states.
0: Why? I know it's just the never-ending like curse.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: yes, we need to talk about we need to talk about that too. You know, like all of these things. Well, we need to have at least one more podcast episode, Catherine. Okay, because I want to talk to you about having a child who has a treatment and how that looks and feels in your own world of SMA, but also for the greater rare disease community. Um, And I'd like to have that conversation on another episode if you're up for it. A hundred percent, I would love to talk about it because it is, again, it's not
1: being talked about and this is the wave of the future. And it's very exciting and awesome on the one hand. On the other hand, as a parent, I feel very, very alone. And I don't really know which group I belong to. And that's not, I'm not criticizing anyone for that. That's just how I feel. It's not to say that like Cure SMA is amazing. They've reached out and everyone offers their help. But you're you're just kind of an N of one. You you have there's no one like Connor, which is so awesome, but not awesome. Because also we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. The doctors are like, we're not sure. They have no protocols. They have no protocols for his, for him. Like how often should he see certain specialists? Which specialist should he see? What biomarkers are they looking at? What, you know, what do we do?
0: I'm laughing because, you know. No, it is it's, it is kind of
1: funny. <laughs> I know. And so they said to me that the physical therapist is like, oh, yeah. So Connor's developing, you know, in line with his sister. So he's developing normally. So um, we can't use the scale that we normally use to, to kind of like measure development of kids with SMA. So we're just going to use the this other scale, because we're trying to figure out what to do. Now, this is at Mass General, where this is like one of the top hospitals in the world. And I'm looking at her like, what? OK, what? So <laughs> all right, And so I'll help you develop yeah. it. It can be called the Connor scale, yeah, you know, totally. whatever.
0: Yeah. Oh, in our Discord group today, we were talking about how flexible and everything that you always have to be. And I just, I've said it on the podcast before, I always just call this world the Wild, Wild West because, like, yes. you never know what wackadoo is going to be running in on their horse and shooting up the town yes. or whatever. Like, there is a, you're constantly on alert yes. for whatever yes. reason because nobody knows what they're doing.
1: I'm looking at this, I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, you're the head of. MGH pediatric PT and you're telling me you have no idea how to measure my son's development yeah oh,
0: it's I just care. like it's settling in with uncertainty as an existence like it's it's just the way that it is yes yep it all ties into that okay well thank you everyone for coming to our hour that I'm sure Cheryl Strayed's going to be listening to because she's going to be a little so. a li- she's going to she's going to be like, who are these women coming up on my jam? No, um, I'm going to have you again on the podcast. It might even be right after this episode. We'll see how timing is for your schedule. Awesome. Um, But thank you so much for sharing so much important information and really valuable insight from your experience. And I'm just so thrilled for your family and for the rare disease community in general for the opportunity and the life-saving medicine that you got. And just knowing that it's out there gives so much hope to all of us. And I am so happy for the SMA community. And it's unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm
1: so we're so I hate when people say this too, but we're so blessed. Yeah. And, and I really feel it and I really want to give back. And this is one of the ways that I thought I could is to just, just talk to people and just tell them, you know, the story. And I want to help in any way that I can help Um, because so many, there's so many people that contributed to. what what happened to Connor and Connor's condition and and how he's developing now. And so I want to pay it forward because I want to recognize those people because they're not here. You know, these children who really have propelled my son forward and my family, these children, this is their legacy, right? This is their family's legacy. I'm getting like emotional, but, you know, this is for them. Because they matter and this is, this is their legacy. And so we need to propel them forward too, even though they're not, no longer here. I really feel strongly about all of that and I want to help people. I really do. So this is a great, I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, this worked out because I, I think this will really touch quite a few people and, and I hope that, that it makes a difference.
0: Love that. It will. Thanks, Catherine. I just like have so many things I want to talk about. but I want to <laughs> oh make everybody God. like <laughs> stuck. Okay, we're going to continue this conversation. But thank you so much. I'm so happy to have heard from you and have you as my guest. And
1: thank you for doing what you do too, because you're amazing. You are really I really look up to you. There have been some dark days and you have really helped me to to stay present and <laughs> and to move forward and i i must say that i feel you like i i i feel you so you know thanks
0: <laughs> thank you so much that means a lot to me i really appreciate it <laughs> You're welcome. all right Catherine. i'm stopping now have a beautiful day <laughs> oh i will i'm so happy i hope you've been enjoying this podcast if you like what you hear
1: It's are not even